Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Morgis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at NixonFoundation.org. On this edition of the Nixon Now Podcast, we're talking President Nixon's health care strategy with John Price. Mr. Price served as Executive Director of the Urban Affairs Council and Special Assistant to the President in the Nixon White House. He is currently at work on a book about the Nixon White House domestic policy and has lectured extensively on this subject at Oxford's Rothermere Institute. Mr. Price, as a reference point for our audience, when did major thinking about health care policy begin? Really, the focus was in the New Deal in the Social Security Act, and health care was the shoe that didn't drop. And it was only later in uh, Harry Truman's presidency that there was a major uh, effort made to include that as part of the social safety net that Truman thought the New Deal had promised. You say that Eisenhower, um, which who President Nixon served under as vice president, oversaw the creation of the most expansive health care and private insurance coverage of the latter 20th century. Why is this so? It's so because what he did was he went through the private health insurance system, but he did it through the tax code, through revisions to the 1950, in the 1954 uh, IRS amendments. And what it did was it provided a, a reason for employers to give their employees insurance without uh, the implications for them of, of taxes and for the employees to receive these benefits without being taxed on them. And so th- it was called ESI, Employer Sponsored Insurance, and it was a huge change. And it went not just to the elderly, which is what the Social Security Act did, or AFDC for dependent children, but it went to all employees. You write that Nixon jumped into the health care debates as a young congressman, uh, second term in 1949. Uh, could you explain this a little bit? Yes. Uh, what happened was Harry Truman, to everyone's amazement, had gotten reelected or elected in his own right in 1948. And he came in with a head of steam intending to propose basically uh, an employment and employer uh, health insurance program for everybody federally provided, though, federally structured, federally financed. And so Nixon and some liberal Republicans uh, were going the direction of the insurance industry uh, providing these things, but providing them uh, to everybody and with a subsidy. So Nixon teamed up with Jack Javits, who was from the House, as was Nixon, and a most liberal member of the House uh, from the west side of New York, and with two Republican liberal senators to offer a bill which would have provided universal coverage and and provided uh, subsidies as well for those who couldn't afford the premiums. Did it pass? No. Why not? Uh, it was a little bit too much for the uh, regular Republicans, uh, Taft, and who was the sort of leader in the Congress of the Republicans at that time, had a different approach, which was entirely to defer to the states. And uh, Nixon wasn't going that way. And so what we have in the Nixon-Javits proposal is a harbinger, a foretaste of what Nixon really came up with many years later in his 1971 health proposal. Would you consider Nixon to be a liberal, centrist, or conservative on health care policy? 
on health care, he would not be called the most liberal because that would be the Ted Kennedys, that would be the Bernie Sanders, the uh, sort of purely federal program, federally financed and federally administered, uh, the single payer, as we call it today. So Nixon was not over in that ballpark. Rather, he was very much uh, in the liberal wing of the Republican Party, uh, and he was he was progressive in the sense that he wanted the outcome to be a universal coverage, which is, if you think about it, a pretty liberal idea. He was just going to do it by different means, using the private sector. Where would you, in the 1960s, where would you put the status of American health care, particularly in the uh, Kennedy and Johnson administrations? Well, of course, it was under Lyndon Johnson that we got both Medicare for the elderly and Medicaid for the indigent. But interestingly, Dwight Eisenhower had proposed a program called, quote, Medicare for the aged, close quote. And he didn't get the substance of it, uh, but Kennedy picked it up and proposed Medicare, which was Eisenhower's term. Uh, so in the 1960s, you had a major move under uh, Johnson, really. Kennedy tried but failed, uh, as was true of, of Kennedy's uh, civil rights efforts. They were hapless, and it was left to Lyndon Johnson to get them passed, and he did. So uh, if you're talking about the 60s, you're talking about this major effort in Medicare and Medicaid. Did did healthcare care um, figure much in President Nixon's 1968 campaign messaging? Not really. No, not nearly so much as reform of the welfare system or many other issues. But once he became president, the reality was that Richard Nixon was the first president to serve at a time after passage of Medicare and Medicaid. And so what started to happen was that the costs of it became very apparent. And so he was very much tuned in on the the budgetary side, the cost side, and uh, that began to catch his attention. Uh, about what year did it get on the president's radar? In reality, it was probably uh, 69 in one sense, because as he fashioned his welfare reform, it was clear that there were parts of that which related to things like food stamps or housing assistance, but also to Medicaid, to medical programs. So they began to think about it. But it was only in 1970 that Nixon really said, let's get on to this. And he directed Ehrlichman to to start cranking up a major effort to look at health. Could you take us through the genesis of that 1971 uh, plan yes. that Nixon gave uh, presented yes. to Congress? Well, of course, as I say, you have this very interesting and influential and indicative background of Nixon's in 49. And then he again uh, tried to help uh, Eisenhower pass a bill uh, to provide backstop for uh, help for the elderly in their medical care in in, uh, 58, 59. He had Javits help then. So he had that background in his his head and in his uh, sense of, of policy and purpose. But specifically, what happened was Nixon said, I want to get going. 
And it was partly driven by Ted Kennedy and the Democrats, but it was partly driven by many factors which were very personal, and also, as I say, his uh, awareness that costs were very, very strong in eating up a large part of the budget after the passage and now the implementation of Medicare and Medicaid. So what happened was they first turned to Spiro Agnew, the vice president, and Nixon asked Agnew to become the head of a, of a policy study effort on health care. And uh, if you believe John Ehrlichman, who was Nixon's key domestic aide by that time, Ehrlichman says that Agnew was getting nowhere with it. And so they then pulled it back in and they started to look at a department initiative from the relevant department, which was health education and welfare. And they came up they, the department, with an array of proposals, which in, in total cost anywhere from $1 billion to $30 billion in 1970. And they also had programs ranging from some 60 up to hundreds of different programs. And so Ehrlichman tore his hair out, what, what hair was left, and he said, uh, look, uh, we, we need to pull this back into the White House and let's, let's start thinking this through hard. So I put my hand up at that point in the autumn of 70, and I said, I'd love to work on health care. Ken Cole, Ehrlichman's principal deputy, was his principal deputy and basically took the bulk of the effort. I, with Cole, created a new task force, and I worked on more the cost containment side of things, while Ken worked on the health insurance and private sector side. What, was the, what were the elements of the health care plan? Well, they were, first of all, cost containment. And Nixon, remember, was a Californian, and he was very well aware of the Kaiser family and of the Kaiser Permanente program for uh, cost containment in providing health care. Basically, it was prevention, preventative care. And the, the logic of it was that if you properly analyze and early analyze problems, you can treat them without there becoming hospitalization-type events. So he was, he was appealed to by that. And Edgar Kaiser came in to see him early in 1970 and I think was very influential in the chat that he and Nixon had. So that was the piece I took, and that was what became the health maintenance organization's piece of this whole puzzle which did just what we were, I was talking about. The other part of it was the scope of the coverage and the benefits. And these were very broad. And what Nixon said to some of us was, you know, through Eisenhower and the ESI that I mentioned earlier, employer-sponsored insurance, we now have 65% of all employees, working employees, covered. I'm going to cover the rest. And so the other main feature of his proposal was to <clears throat> say to employers, you have a mandate. You will provide health insurance to every one of your employees, whether they are one or more employees that you have. And if they can't afford to help pay part of the premium, we will provide a government subsidy to do that. This became called the Family Health Insurance Plan. And uh, it was uh, also on Nixon's mind that there were unemployed people. And so he decided to create pools which would have shared risk for those folks who weren't working with an employer or who otherwise were not able to get insurance. 
So those were the key elements, cost control and, and virtually universal coverage. And the benefits were extraordinary. For example, Richard Nixon in 1971 said, we shall cover pre-existing conditions. Have you heard that phrase? Yes, I have. Yeah. It was almost 50 years ago that he said, let's do it. He also said, uh, drug prescription drug costs are terribly high. We are going to cover prescription drug costs, not just what George Bush did 40 years later for the elderly, but for everybody. This is Richard Nixon in 1971. Do you think the, in terms of the costs and the, the budget for the plan, um, do you think it was, do you think it was uh, feasible? Well, the, the uh, portion about cost containment, it became called the health maintenance organizations, HMOs. Uh, in theory, they would be very effective in bringing down costs. Um, Nixon was cost conscious and he was still constrained by the war. So he, he uh, did this somewhat reluctantly because of budgetary issues. But I just think he was over or overcome by his sense of the need for coverage and the need to make sure that people living at the margins were not feeling despair. Senator Ted Kennedy later said that he regretted not supporting this health care proposal. Why did he oppose it? He was for the single payer, flat out. And he was very much a creature of trade unionism and its politics at the time. <coughs> Their position was very strongly in favor of a single-payer or federal program. So Kennedy uh, broke with them only at his peril. And what did happen, and he did have some peril, <coughs> pardon me, was that he did buy into the idea of some uh, cost participation by patients. And AFL-CIO broke with him on that, and they no longer would basically talk with him. And he and the chair of the Ways and Means Committee and President Nixon with Cap Weinberger, by now the secretary of HEW, worked toward a deal. But it was getting late. This was very early in 1974, and other clouds were forming. Watergate. In the 1971 proposal, so does it? Does this make it to Congress? This proposal? Are, are there debates between uh, uh, Congress and uh, among congressmen? Amongst? Uh, oh yes. Does it reach the oh, Senate? Yes. No, it, it was sent up, and the Senate is, as uh, in a way, as the welfare reform found, the Senate was the graveyard, uh, the bone burial, and the key player in both cases was Senator Russell Long of Louisiana, who was chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, he basically uh, killed the family assistance plan along with Senator Williams, a Republican from Delaware. But Long had his own pet uh, horse to ride, and it was catastrophic coverage only. And so he was not well disposed toward moving the bill, and it just it never got along. It, it never made it to the, to the Senate floor? No, not, I don't believe it did. Nixon reintroduces the legislation you had mentioned that... 73-74. Uh, and you, right. me you mentioned that um, the, the cloud of Watergate killed it. But what was the difference between the 74 and the 71 plans? Uh, the 70, 73 or 74 plan uh, did include a, a program for virtually for everybody. And it was uh, called the Affordable Health Insurance Program. And it was for basically... It was unifying Medicaid, uh, 
uh, it was providing more uniform benefits and standards for even the Medicaid beneficiaries and those who just fell outside Medicaid. So it was more uniform, universal in its coverage. Do you see any of these elements um, of the Nixon plans in future legislation? Yes. You see Obama, um, well, you see Clinton in one sense buying into the notion of using the, the health insurers. What the health insurers didn't like and why they fought like the devil to kill Clinton's plan was that it, it was clearly going to require federal regulation of the insurers. The insurance companies were, up until that time, regulated by state insurance regulators. And so they did not want to fall under the federal purview. Frankly, had Nixon's plan passed, there would have been some federal review at HEW of the insurance policies themselves. But so Clinton tried it. It, With Obama, uh, you do have the employer mandate, which uh, Nixon proposed. And you also uh, had, with Obama, the efforts at the cost containment. It sort of uh, tap-danced further on the idea of the health maintenance organizations and the preventive care as a means of cost containment. So those were clearly within, uh, within the Obamacare proposal. Interestingly, Nixon thought about what became the, the sort of uh, third rail of Obamacare. He thought about an individual mandate and did not take that route. He thought about it because intellectually, what he realized was that in order to have a private sector system which worked, you had to pool the risk, all the risk, so that you could bring premiums down because you were covering the healthy as well as the the people needing medical care. And so he pondered that. They debated it very seriously in 71. But they decided not to cross that bridge. Obama crossed that bridge. Nixon would have understood the pure partisan politics of how the Republicans then went after Obama for that unpopular element. But Nixon had understood it was a logical part of a private sector solution to the issue. Do you think if Watergate had not happened, the 1974 bill would have passed with bipartisan support? It might well, yes. Even among Republicans as well? I think that there would have been enough of, don't forget, the Democrats controlled both houses. And so that was a crucial element. And actually, uh, uh, Kennedy bought into a Nixon-Mills bill. And so it was moving down the track. And uh, But then it was not just Watergate, but the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee committed his own peccadillo by wading in the tidal basin with an Argentine striptease artist, and that somewhat uh, curtailed his authority in the federal city. In, um, in your article, in your, in your speech at uh, Oxford, you talk about Nixon's Quaker background yes. as playing a role um, in his thinking about health care. Could you explain that a little bit? Well, he came from a family which lived usually at the margins economically, and most specifically, two of his brothers were both, were lost to tuberculosis. And his mother had to go to Arizona, in the case of each of them, for a year or more at a time, looking after other young patients as well in order to afford it, because there was no medical insurance. So Nixon was powerfully palpably aware of of the risks to a family's economic security of illness. And uh, he just had a sense of 
of a, a community responsibility. There, there is some piece of him consistently, whether it's in food stamps or the welfare proposal or here in the health coverage, that reflects uh, a visceral connection with people living at the margins. In 1971, um, Nixon launches his Conquest of Cancer initiative, somewhat separately from the uh, comprehensive health care uh, reform. Could you talk about how this took shape? Yes, it was. Uh, he was being his sleeve was being pulled at by a, a number of people very concerned about cancer, and he was very receptive. <clears throat> but the the interesting and maybe Quaker or Friends uh, angle on this is that. He had just earlier that year, that season, announced the abolition of American involvement in chemical and biological weaponry. And uh, he, we were neither going to produce it nor keep it nor sell it. And the place which had been the focus for the military services in those products was Fort Detrick, Maryland. And what Nixon did as a wonderful uh, twist and sort of a, a, a sweetly ironic twist was he converted Fort Detrick into the headquarters of the National Cancer Drive, the anti-cancer drive. And then the bill passes at the at the end of the at the end of the year. I believe the um, National Cancer Act of 1971. What is in that legislation? Uh, well, a, a tremendous ramp up of funding for cancer research, and it is to be embodied in this new center, which was physically headquartered where I told you at Fort Detrick. Do you feel that the National Cancer Act and the funds that have gone to cancer have significantly curbed um, uh, cancer and has? contributed greatly to cancer research? Well, cancer hasn't gone away, but uh, they did certainly amplify the amount of money that was going into hard research on it. My own son is COO of a a cancer startup, anti-cancer drug startup. I'm very tuned in on it. Nixon did, you had mentioned health maintenance organizations, HMOs. Um, Nixon, although the comprehensive health care reform bills didn't pass in 71 and 74. He did pass an HMO it, Act. Yes, and it, it was signed in December of 73, and it was the only piece of the proposed 71 legislation which did find its way to his desk. How did that happen versus? It was less controversial. It was less controversial, and it was to uh, help um, start up private sector as well as not-for-profit uh, health maintenance organizations, and it was uh, basically uh, funding efforts at also in- ensuring that states could not impede the creation of that. So it was trying to roll out almost a prototype of of a uh, form of health practice that seemed logically to to be both budgetarily conscious and also to be trying to put people in good health. In two thousand nine. Um President Obama passed the Affordable Care Act. Yes. Um, President Trump has been working to uh, take elements of the, uh, strip down the Affordable Care Act. Um, why do you feel that 50 years on Nixon's health care proposals is an important study for policymakers? We are back to the point where the Republican Party was in 1949 with Bob Taft. They were favoring a, an approach basically through the states and with very little concern about how large the participation was 
or any concern about uniformity of benefits or of eligibility standards. That's what Richard Nixon and Jack Javits and two senators, one was uh, Ralph Flanders of Vermont, Republican, and Irving Ives of New York, tried to do in 1949. They said, we need to have much more uh, macro views here. We need to be concerned with uniform eligibility standards. We need to be concerned with subsidizing those people who need help in paying premiums. So we are, we've backtracked. And Nixon was on the, on the opposite side to what the Republican Party is now and has now been trying to do for almost a decade. Our guest today is John Price, former executive director of the Urban Affairs Council and special assistant to President Nixon. Our topic is President Nixon's health care strategy. Mr. Price, thank you so much for joining us. Jonathan, you're more than welcome. Hope it was clarifying. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavroidis and your Belinda. Belinda.